going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Greetings and salutations, my friends. Happy Tuesday. Hope all is well with you and yours as we get into the grind, as it were, and a ton to get to in today's show. As Brenda mentioned right off the top, Brexit plan defeated. So Theresa May's plan has been defeated. What does this mean and what happens next? We'll be joined by Kurt Hubner from University of British Columbia after four o'clock to dive into what happens now. Also, we'll get a couple of different updates on a couple of stories. Brenda did talk uh, during the news there about what some of the indigenous groups here in our country are contemplating. And we'll get an update from Michael King, global news reporter, after five o'clock about what is being talked about here in Calgary about that uh, meeting and discussion. And also, uh, something came across my desk yesterday, and it had to do with tourism in Canada. And the numbers are still going up, which is a very good thing. Here in Calgary, what's the picture like? We'll chat with uh, Jeff Hessel from Tourism Calgary about not only the numbers, he doesn't have them, but he, he can talk anecdotally about what we saw in 2019 and some of the early numbers, early indicators, as it were, as they gather those numbers. But even beyond that is how do you sustain that momentum? Because it's tough to do in the economic times that we're in. We talk about staycations and that kind of thing. But what about promoting outside our borders. So we'll chat with Jeff about that as we get closer to the end of the show today. But we're going to kick things off. Starting, I hinted at it yesterday, and we're going to bring it right into the into the queue right off the bat. Have you seen the new Gillette ad? If you haven't, obviously you can't see it through the radio, but I'll play it for you and also give you a little bit of the uh, the background behind what you're hearing as well. It is powerful, but it's also getting... A whole lot of response. We'll chat with Maureen McGrath from the Sunday Night Health Show here on CHQR in just a couple of minutes to weigh in on this Me Too movement and being the best man you can be. That is what's coming up next here on Calgary Today. If you haven't seen the ad yet, you might have already heard about it. If you haven't heard about it already, you're about to hear about it. So Gillette is out with a new ad and it is getting all kinds of response. No different than the Colin Kaepernick Nike commercial, only when it comes to men's rights, women's rights, who's right. And it really goes into not just the Me Too movement, but it also goes into what we've come to expect out of our boys. The boys will be boys, the play fighting around, the things that you say when you pass a good-looking woman, for example, the cat calls, that kind of thing. And here is what the end result was. Bullying. The Me Too movement against sexual harassment. masculinity. Is this the best a man can get? Is it? We can't hide from it. Sexual harassment is taking over. It's been going on far too long. We can't laugh it off. Who's the daddy? (laughs) What I actually think she's trying to say. Making the same old excuses. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. But something finally changed. Allegations regarding sexual assault and sexual harassment. Once, but she says, and there will be no going back. 
Because we, we believe in the best in men. Men need to hold other men accountable. Smile, sweetie. Come on. To say the right thing. To act the right way. Bro, not cool, not cool. Some already are. In ways big. Yo, men, and small. I am strong. But some is not enough. Some will treat each other, okay? Okay. Because the boys watching today will be the men of tomorrow. And it ends with words, it's only by challenging ourselves to do more than we can get closer to our best. When I first watched it, I watched it without reading the comments after. And I went, heck yeah. Why? Because we should just be good human beings to one another is the message that I got. But apparently, some people have taken it as an attack on men. I don't get it, but to each their own, I suppose. Joining us now on the program to talk a little bit more about this this ad is the host of the Sunday Night Health Show, Maureen McGrath. Maureen, thanks so much for joining us again. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I want to ask your thoughts when you first watched this ad. Well, I think it was similar to yours, but I, I figured it would get some backlash and that it would be mis- misconstrued and interpreted as an ad that intimates that all men are bad. And I think there's an underlying fear there that men are going to lose the power they have in the world. Whether they realize that or know that or aware of that or maybe it's something subliminal. But I think fear is what is driving some of the negative comments. Has the definition of masculinity changed? Not yet, (laughs) but it it may need to. And the American Psychological Association has just released guidelines for therapists to be able to better support men and address their emotional needs. Some of the, you know, the traditional masculinity ideology is anti-femininity achievement, a shield of the appearance of weakness, adventure, risk, violence, the alpha male. And all of this can be psychologically harmful to men and boys who rarely seek treatment for mental health issues. And so the APA has decided to release these guidelines to help therapists deal with men and help them to express their emotions. I see men in my clinical practice, and it's, they choke up. They hold back. They do not want to cry. I have boxes of tissues. (laughs) Eventually they do. They're much more comfortable standing up and flailing their arms around, and I have a glass door, and so sometimes my colleagues can see that. (laughs) But, you know, they've been taught since they were little, boys don't cry, man up, be the man, and it can be negative for men. Is that a generational thing that is slowly maybe making its way out of our world, maybe? And I use the example of the way that my dad was treated by his father is different than the way that I was treated by my dad. And I'm sure that the way I treat my son, if I ever have one, will be different from the way that I that both of they them treated, you know, the, the down the line, the domino effect. You know, the father is a child of the man, and sometimes based on experience, if a, if a boy or a man just despised the way their father treated them, they, they may have made a conscious, singular decision to treat their children differently. 
I had a 38-year-old man in my office recently, and, and he was calling his son the snowflake child. You know, his son rails up against his alpha maleness, if you will, and he'll say, Dad, I'm allowed to express my feelings. And this gentleman is, you know, is having such a hard time uh, allowing his son to express his feelings or reminding him all the time that he needs to express his feelings. And he's saying to him, you know, man up, grow a thicker skin, you be tough kind of a thing. So I'm not so sure. And I think this is the beginning of the shift. I think the Me Too movement was the beginning of the shift. And you can see that people are very difficult. They have a lot of difficulty with change. And this is a paradigm shift in society. But ultimately, I do believe it will help men because men suffer under the crushing weight of living in an alpha male society, or many men do. They often have to live in secrecy and shame. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things that I think it's it's an uncomfortable thing because a lot of some men are going to have to own some truths. They certainly are, and that's very difficult. And some of the truths are that there are more men at the CEO level than women ever will be, it seems today, that men make more money than women do. Feminism is at the very basic level is gender equality. We don't have gender equality today. And men believe that that benefits them, but it, it can hurt them. It's so much better. You know, men will complain that women will be after them for their money or that they, you know, only want them for child support or whatever. But, you know, if we had gender equality in the workplace and women were paid the same as men and provided the same opportunities, you know, something like that might go away. It's a fascinating look ahead because when you when you look at the long game, like in the short game, this is sort of it almost feels like, oh, it's it's men being railed on again. But if you look at the long term, it might actually have some positive ramifications, as you point out. Well, research demonstrates that boys and men are at a disproportionate risk for things like school discipline, academic challenges, they're diagnosed with ADHD more, they have more health disparities, they're, they're lonely, um, they die uh, by violent suicide more so than women, although more women attempt, more men are successful at death by suicide. Men have higher rates of completed suicide. They have higher rates of cardiovascular disease, and they are more likely to be the victims of violence. I do some work in the prisons. It's 99% men, <laughs> maybe 99.9% mm-hmm. men. Men die earlier. So I think if we have this shift and, and kind of you know, buffer this toxic masculinity or this message that men have to be as tough as possible and that they cannot express their emotions... Um, I think we may actually, there may be a lot of benefits for men. Maureen McGrath is our guest. She's the host of the Sunday Night Health Show here on 770 CHQR. We're going to take a short break and take a, a gander, a traffic in the process as well. And we'll be joined uh, again in just a couple minutes with Maureen McGrath. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. What is the difference between masculinity and toxic masculinity? Or is there? Maureen McGrath joining us on the program. Uh, wrap up the, the hour here. Maureen, answer that question. What is the <laughs> difference? That's a great question, I have to say. You know, somehow men have been cast as the feelingless gender. It's, it's the F word for mm-hmm. men. And it's not that men don't feel. It's that they're not taught how to express their feelings. So boys will be boys. They're taught not to cry. They don't have the words to express themselves. And this can lead to toxic relationships or problems in relationships. And so instead of 
being, you know, sad or feeling vulnerable, they may convert those stereotypically feminine feelings into anger, which can really get men into a lot of trouble, and it certainly does. And on the inside, men can feel confused and just want to express their feelings but don't know how to do that. And this can lead to a lot of distress in a person's life. It can affect them physically, and it can affect them emotionally. And it really has an, a negative impact on their mental health. Mm -hmm. One of the things, and part of the reason why I asked that question is something, something as simple as opening the door for the lady as you walk in for a date, for example. And there have been some connotations saying, hey, that's part of the toxic masculinity of the world we live in. You're taking the, the prototypical male aspect of, of the relationship. I just see it as being courteous. There's, there is a difference there. Am I, am I mistaken in that? There certainly is. And, you know, we call that chivalry. And, you know, but it, it's difficult. And in, in the ultra-feminist world, you know, it may be frowned upon. And it's really how it's, there are so many nuances in relationships. And, and you know, men and women are always going to see things very differently. And, and, you know, we're redefining gender in a way. And gender is fluid. And, and it's fluid at different times in a person's life. So, you know, it's hard to say this action can never be done again. Um, you know, but... We, what we really need to talk about is, is these feelings, the ability to express, the ability to have a balance of power in a relationship. In the toxic masculinity world, men have power over others. Mm -hmm. They may have power over boys. They have power over women. And that is what leads them into issues in their lives. I suppose it all boils down to intent at the end of the day. If you're, if you're intending to utilize power, that's where things are getting out of control. Whereas if your intent is pure, if your intent is to do right to your fellow human, then that's where things are okay. Well, many men don't realize that they have this power or, or this perceived power or some men believe that they do. And so they may not intentionally be trying to hurt somebody. They may feel hurt and sad and upset and vulnerable, and they may start screaming at their partner. And we call that emotional abuse. So I, I really agree with the American Psychological Association. We need to teach boys and men the new definition of masculinity. And we really have to tell them or educate them that there's no place for toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why we have more men in car accidents, more men in prison, more men who are victims to violence. This will benefit men. And I think that's why what, what men don't realize with the Gillette commercial is that that's a compassionate, it's a kindness, it's a feeling message that is being misconstrued. It doesn't hurt to be vulnerable is, another way, is sort of another way of what I just heard. And it's okay to cry. And I can't tell you how many men in my clinical practice have asked me that. You know, they've said, I can't cry. I can't cry. And I say, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Mm -hmm. And when you give them permission and that it's private, uh, except for the people who might be walking by seeing them through the glass door, um, you know, they can let go and they can release and they can begin to heal because so many boys and men have been damaged by toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. Maureen McGrath's the host of the Sunday Night Health Show here on 770 CHQR, weighing in on the uh, Gillette ad campaign that has gotten a lot of people's attention. Maureen, I appreciate the time as always. Thank you so much. So there you go. I, and I, and I, again, I go back to, I don't know why there's such a pushback on this. Like there are people, boycott Gillette. So they want to see good in the world. I don't see what's wrong with that.
Maybe I'm, I missed a memo. If somebody could send me that memo, that'd be great. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. As you heard in the news with Haley, Britain's lawmakers have voted down the Brexit deal hammered out by Prime Minister Theresa May, raising questions about whether the UK will leave the EU with no agreement. What does this all mean? We welcome to the program Kurt Hubner, who is the interim, uh, interim director of the Institute for European Studies at the University of British Columbia. Kurt, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Good afternoon. Let's start off with that question. What does this mean for those living in Britain right now? Yeah, it means a lot of scare, a lot of uncertainty, because nobody knows exactly what the next steps will be. We all know that the withdrawal agreement negotiated by the Theresa May government has been defeated in a very, very strong way. So this option is more or less gone, I would uh, say, even though uh, Theresa May is a need to present a so-called Plan B, three sitting days from now, this will be Monday, uh, due to the fact that there will be no uh, solution coming from heaven, she will probably provide and present a kind of modified version of what we see today. So this will not be successful. And then the question is, what happens then? Mm-hmm. So uh, this is exactly the question that is now being discussed, I think, so in many households, even though now it's late, but uh, that's the, the outcome of today. Yeah, and, and especially now with a non-confidence motion in the cards. So what is, how does this all play out politically? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that the, the, the Tories are extremely divided when it comes to Brexit. But they're also extremely united when it comes to the confidence vote. This will be turned down because uh, neither the, the Conservatives nor the, the, the DUP, the Northern Ireland party that is supporting the minority government of Theresa May, is interested in a Labour government. So uh, Jeremy Corbyn will not get this kind of uh, success he's hoping for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So it's a kind of political gesture. He has to do this, uh, given the defeat of today. But this is not uh, helping in any way uh, to move the whole Brexit file forward. What does this mean for international relations with Britain? Are, are they kind of hamstrung right now as they figure out, you know, who's in charge and what exactly is going on with their, their internal relations first? I mean, it's definitely not helpful, uh, the standing uh, of the UK in the global, having had this kind of experience. I mean, think about it. Uh, the referendum was in June 2016. There was a lot of time. And even though... Uh, it was pretty clear since a couple of months that this deal will not uh, succeed in Parliament. Still, it was driven forward. And uh, this tells us a lot about, let us say, the kind of division and the situation, the standing of the political class in the UK. So highly divided. And uh, this is not a good sign when it comes to international standing of the UK. Nobody knows exactly how long will this government uh, continue working, what will come uh, instead. What are the plans in order to move forward? So there's no way that they can do any kind of other trade deals or something like this. First of all, they need to focus on the future relation and the kind of the transition to a future relation with the European Union, Mm -hmm. their strongest partner so far but they voluntarily are giving up this kind of relationship. So this is already asking also and posing quite a lot of questions. A lot of other countries and governments are asking why this has this happened at all. 
One of the questions that that has been asked of me in in the last few days is, what's happened since that whole referendum that has changed everybody's perspective about it? Because it wasn't a, a, this wasn't a big story here, and yet here we are talking about it again, as if nothing, as the world's kind of turned on its head in a sense in Britain. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, the, it was interesting. Uh, according to Google and their statistics, the term mostly Googled the day after the referendum in June 16, 2016, uh, was what is the EU? So, you know, mm-hmm. and in the meantime, we know that the EU and the British knows, know that the EU is a pretty uh, complex, highly layered uh, international uh, institution and organization where it's not so easy to leave. So I think so. that's one of the lessons. Uh, Nobody knows how to unscramble scrambled eggs, and uh, the British doesn't know, and uh, there is no real answer for all that. So the only thing we know, it's highly complex. It needs much more uh, thinking in advance. And, And the referendum was actually, let us say, against the European Union, but it's not clear what is Brexit actually means, you know, the terms customs union, single market, those are terms and concepts that are not familiar for ordinary people very often. And uh, so now it turns out it's a strong, powerful, those are strong and powerful concepts and realities. And uh, one has to think about what do you actually want to leave and what part of Britain should stay, what kind of relations would you like to have, all those kind of things. And uh, the withdrawal agreement has not given all the right answers. In particular, I mean, this is uh, the, the real uh, problem. Nobody discussed the Northern Ireland question when the referendum uh, came up. Mm-hmm. But this has now become the uh, most decisive item in the whole withdrawal agreement. Will we see and want to see a EU border in Ireland? Right. It, the one thing that I've, I've noticed is is we, it seems as though the, the uh, the most popular th- way of going about business is we want change, especially when it comes to govern- government or governing bodies. This seems to be a case where, hey, we want change, but we didn't necessarily understand what the change was going to be. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a very strong argument. Uh, this is now from well, the academic side, but still a lot of empirical support, too. And this goes back, uh, making the, 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 the statement, uh, actually, the Brexit decision of 2016 has been not solely, but mainly caused by the political implications of the 2008 financial crisis. Right. Why, why that? In the case of the UK, the Tories... Uh, responded to, with a very, very strict so-called austerity policy to the uh, to the financial crisis when then uh, after Labour left, so to say, and uh, the austerity policy means there was a lot of cutting, a lot of uh, really uh, reduction in income for ordinary citizens, all those kind of things, and then when the Brexit decision came up, you know, a lot of. Uh, political sentiments were turned uh, towards the European Union, explaining it would be all the fault of the EU rather than looking to more domestic political developments. And I think so. Uh, there was a lot of frustration and, and, and also very open kind of uh, concerns on side of voters in regards to the implication of the austerity policy. And the, the, the referendum was used as a, as a way to signal uh, the government at the time, Cameron, you know, you can't have your will 
as you would like. Someone, as you know, wanted to stay in the European Union, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and then and then the thing came. The bill was on the table. Uh, it was sudden the, the Britain had to leave without any kind of proper planning for all this. Right. Kurt Hubner is the interim director at the Institute for European Studies at UBC. Kurt, thank you so much for the time today. Thank you. Bye now. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. A lot of energy insiders are going to be keeping a close eye on Calgary tomorrow. Why, you ask? Well, it's the Indigenous Energy Summit being held and some really interesting discussions being had about who who owns pipelines as the example. And that's where we bring in Global's, uh, global reporter uh, Michael King. Michael, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. What is being proposed here? What is being talked about when it comes to ownership of some of these pipelines? Well, the Indigenous uh, Resource Council of Canada is going to start meeting tomorrow at the Grey Eagle Event Centre. And the plan is really to look at four different funding proposals that they could use to actually buy the pipeline. We don't know what those deals will actually look like, but I did speak to someone at the U of C School of Public Policy, Richard Masson, and he said the potential deal would probably be similar to something we saw up north in 2016 when a couple of First Nations communities teamed up to buy a 49% stake in a tank farm. That was about $500 million. They raised the money through loans. And so uh, if we do see something, uh, a funding proposal put on the table, it's probably going to be something along the lines of that buying uh, or being able to raise some sort of uh, loans uh, through either the federal government or a private capital firm, and then uh, basically turning that around, buying the pipeline and using the fees to uh, make a profit. It's an interesting uh, change of direction, I suppose, given that we've had pushback on even the the federal government buying the pipeline in its entirety. This would sort of change the, uh, the momentum a little bit, wouldn't it? No, absolutely. And it does offer a lot of benefits. So one of the things is if the Indigenous community actually believes enough in the pipeline that they're going to buy it, that's obviously a good sign. And this means that the First Nations can take the resources. A lot of them have oil resources on their own land, and they want to be able to sell it for the highest price. So if they want to get this pipeline built and they want to make a profit, this might be a good way of doing so. Another thing is that it provides uh, another income flow for some First Nations that don't have oil resources or don't have a lucrative casino deal on their land. They can uh, be a partner in the pipeline. They can take that profit. And some of them, if they're in tough financial shape, they can actually help their citizens uh, dig themselves out of poverty. And this, is, this might be a, a great answer. Any other things that you took away from that chat? You mentioned that you spoke with a U of C professor on the topic. Anything else to kind of strike you in that conversation? Yeah, Richard Masson really uh, stressed that this would be one of the biggest deals in Canadian history. We're talking about $4.5 billion just for the pipeline, plus uh, there's probably another $3 billion in capital investment that would need to be done. So this would definitely be up there in terms of complexity. Not only would they have to set up corporations if the Indigenous community wants to move forward on this, they need to set up the business side, they need leadership, and of course, they would need the funding. So there is still a lot left to do before we see a deal hit the table. Michael, I appreciate the time this afternoon. Thanks a lot.
Michael King, Global News reporter, is he's going to be paying attention to uh, First Nations meeting in our city for the Indigenous Energy Summit tomorrow. The AGM for the Indian Reserve uh, Resource Council, which has about 130 members, goes Thursday at the Sutina Nation, which is kind of fitting. It's been the Sutina who I thought have been ahead of the curve when it comes to development, especially when you look at uh, the Grey Eagle in that area, and then you talk about the Ring Road and everything that is involved with that. Uh, there's some massive undertakings being had out there, and this would be, as Michael mentioned, the biggest, $4.5 billion. It's Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Canada's tourism sector got a little bit of an idea as to how good it's been. Stats Canada releasing national tourism indicators yesterday showing it supports 1.8 million jobs across this country and tourism spending was $80.8 billion in Canada in from January to September 2018. Calgary got a chunk of that. To figure out more about what happened here in Calgary, welcome Jeff Hessel, the Senior VP of Marketing for Tourism Calgary. Jeff, thanks so much for the time this afternoon. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. We have seen the national numbers, but I'm curious from a Calgary perspective, give us a little bit of a snapshot here in terms of what kind of tourism we saw here. Uh, so we have been uh, seeing a really good year in tourism uh, here in Calgary. Uh, when it comes to room nights sold, uh, we have seen 18 consecutive months of growth. Uh, and then in 2018, we also showed um, five consecutive record room nights sold um, through May to September. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've been seeing really good numbers. And we saw record numbers now at the Calgary Zoo this year with the pandas. The Calgary Stampede had a great year. And overall, with our partners, uh, we're hearing uh, good numbers coming from, uh, from all tourism partners in 2018. What's been the key to keeping that rolling, especially given, you know, we talk about the economic downturn and that kind of thing, but at least people are still coming here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Calgary is um, is definitely got lots of various different experiences going on throughout the entire year. And we keep seeing more and more experiences every year uh, coming up in Calgary. And so, and, you know, we're also getting good accolades for things like our culinary scene and our brewery scene um, and uh, new events and festivals, our arts and culture. Um, you know, when we get things like the National Music Center uh, coming online, as well as the new Central Library, all those things are adding to the excitement that uh, people are having about coming to Calgary. Calgary uh, as a place to say, uh, usually in their Alberta trip or in their Canadian trip. When you and I last chatted, it was all about the Love YYC campaign. And one of the things that uh, really stuck out to me during that conversation was the fact that anytime people visit with the beauty of social media now is that they almost become weirdly brand ambassadors for the city as well and draw a lot of attention to the city without even really trying because they're, you know, tagging or that kind of thing, the, the city itself. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we see that our, we have, um, we have great engagement numbers, over a million engagements here at Tourism Calgary through all of our social channels. And that's just Tourism Calgary connecting in with, uh, various different travelers, um, from around the province, around the country, and around the world. Um, and so we see great pictures coming out of Calgary. What's great is, is Calgary's a really great photogenic city. We've got a wonderful skyline. We've got some great architecture with the Peace Bridge, Wonderland, uh, the new Central Library. I mean, just look at all the pictures that, uh, 
went online as soon as that building opened and everybody wanted to get a picture of it uh, and share it with their friends and family just because it was so spectacular uh, and getting such great accolades from around the world from various different architectural um, influencers and uh, and publications. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a, a key word in there as well and, and I find the same way even when I'm traveling is it's less about you know the, just the fact that I'm going there but I'm also looking for an experience and, and speak about the, the city's ability to continue to uh, maintain that experience aspect and make sure that people keep coming back as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, people do come for for their, their experiences, and as Calgary grows, uh, we we see that uh, kind of throughout uh, throughout the city, through our neighborhoods, um, and people are looking for a really great urban experience, and that will include elements of shopping, that will include elements of our attractions, um, culinary, um, you know, the breweries as well, uh, whatever else they do, kind of in those neighborhoods, and also the experience of when they connect with locals. And one thing about Calgarians is they're great hosts; uh, they're very warm and welcoming, very kind, um, and so uh, as people are traveling in our city they have no problem asking you know somebody uh, where to what to see and do where what directions to something uh, getting a recommendation on something like that and we hear over and over how warm and welcoming calgarians are and and how much international and national uh, travelers appreciate that when they come one of the other things too that everybody talks about is how to maintain that momentum and from a tourism calgary perspective you guys are the ones with the boots on the ground who are trying to do your best to to promote the city how do you continue to keep that momentum going and promote this city looking into 2019 and even beyond. Well, you know, Calgary as a city makes it very easy for an organization like Tourism Calgary because we have always new things to talk about. Uh, it's definitely not a stagnant city. It's a very vibrant, energetic city. Uh, and again, new attractions, new venues, um, um, new experiences uh, coming online all the time. Um, and so really, you know, with one of the activities that we do, which is uh, all of our media relations with international writers and influencers across the globe, talking to them about what's coming up in Calgary, what's new in Calgary, what's exciting and, and happening, connecting them to the people that are doing these things and it, that definitely gets us a lot of great attention. One of the things that we are really celebrating this week is that the New York Times mm-hmm. announced that Calgary was one of the top 52 places to go in 2019 and that comes through relationships that we have with writers and editors at the New York Times along working with Travel Alberta and Destination Canada on that to then really tell everybody um, uh, in the world that Calgary is a great place to come and visit. One of those things that uh, if you're able to share your story, you're able to do it in a variety variety of ways and uh, it seems as though the it's paying dividends for sure uh, jeff i do appreciate the time this afternoon great thank you for having me just want to take a moment to thank you for taking the time to download and listen to the calgary today podcast don't forget to subscribe through apple podcasts google play tune in or wherever you get your favorite podcasts we'll chat with you soon